If you're a regular listener to the Van City podcast and believe in what the church is doing, consider supporting Van City financially. Full disclosure, our church is small and in the throes of an ongoing struggle to make budget and to grow in the spiritual discipline of generosity. If you want to help out, visit vancity.church give. I'm Josh Porter, and this is the Van City Church Podcast. The following teaching is part nine in the series, The True and False Self, filled with all the fullness of God. Every day, in every relationship, we are given the opportunity to bless or to curse. And our ability to bless, or our willingness to curse, is one essential way we assess our journey into the true self. It was dawn in Savannah, Georgia, sometime in the early 2000s, I'm going to say 2002. My friend Mike and I, Mike, he was here a second ago. Are you in here, Mike? Oh, he's in kids. He's serving our church. God bless this guy. Yep. (laughs) Give it up for Mike. He won't hear it. My friend Mike and I, we were making our way down River Street in Savannah carrying soap buckets and squeegees. It was already hot already muggy with the orange sun creeping over the horizon, bathing concrete surfaces and bricks in a haze of orange. And Mike and I mostly lived in a van with other guys traveling the country, playing music. But when we were home, Mike was a subcontracted window washer. And he'd bring me along to help, pay me for the trouble under the table, and we would use that money to finance our months on the road. And we moved beneath a storefront awning and set to work assembling our tools when a voice called down from above. Not God. Uh, But I remember squinting up at a silhouette, and it was a woman on a stepladder replacing big black letters on a store marquee. And she said, morning. And we looked up, and she said, are you boys blessing Jesus today? And I remember feeling confused. Are we blessing Jesus? And then judging by his reply, Mike was just as confused as me because he said, and I remember it vividly, uh, we know Jesus. (laughs) Like someone trying to bridge a language gap. It wasn't really an answer to the question at all. What was the question? Are you boys blessing Jesus? Now, fast forward, nearly two decades later, it was a Saturday morning in Vancouver, I was walking with my son Beck, then some three years old, I think, through the lobby of the C Street Library. And I paused at the new fiction display, as is my custom, when my son, for the 10 seconds I wasn't staring directly at him, set to work tearing the lower shelf apart. And there was an older woman next to me that had to dodge the wreckage. It was a huge mess. People were watching. And though my default disposition doesn't really allow for much fretting over what other people think about my parenting, I remember on this particular day feeling self-conscious. I got down on my knees and reminded my little boy why we don't dismantle library displays, and then I asked him to help me put it back together, and he obliged. It wasn't really a huge deal. I had been and would go through far more trying disobedience and meltdowns as a parent, and still many years to go. But truth be told... For whatever reason, on that morning in the library, I was suspecting myself of inadequacy, the way new parents often do. Was this lady beside me sighing and shaking her head? Had I made some dumb rookie mistake? 
Was I making one now, arranging these books with my son? And then a voice came from beside me, and I turned to see the older woman, white-haired and smiling, as she nodded in my direction and said, quite simply, good job, Dad. I didn't know this lady, but somehow in that moment, she blessed me. Not the empty colloquial cliche, not a dull and near meaningless Christian platitude. Her words were a blessing over me and my fatherhood that I carry to this day. I remember it. Years later, as vividly as the day she breathed out those three words and went on her way, new fiction release in hand. But even if I clarify that what I mean by blessing here is not the ordinary and mostly empty cultural usage, what do you think when you hear the word blessing. For some, it's an incantation that you say over food before you eat it. For others, it's a polite reflex expression in response to a sneeze. Or for Instagrammers, blessing is prosperity and comfort. Things are going well. I've got money and stuff. My family looks nice in a photo. I'm blessed. But in the Bible, I would argue blessing means something else. We are in an ongoing series all about the true and false self. For weeks, we've been arguing that knowing in your mind that the Bible says you are God's beloved daughter, that you are God's beloved son, knowing in your mind that the Bible says that God is love, that God loves you and your enemies and the world, knowing all of this intellectually and actually believing and trusting that it is true are two very different things. And when we don't trust, when we don't truly believe in our identity as God's beloved daughters and sons, we live inevitably as a false self. It's what the scriptures call the old self or the flesh. It's what spiritual formation writers call the shadow side or the imposter. But learning who you really are, embracing who you really are, trusting and believing in your own God-spoken identity is the journey of spiritual formation. And the capacity to bless others, I would argue, is one way we assess our journey toward becoming more like Jesus. But that begs the question, what does that mean? Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter three, or 1. Genesis chapter 1, first book, first chapter, first verse in the Bible. Are you guys awake? Are you okay? Yeah. Great, thank you. Let's read Genesis 1. Verse 1, the scriptures begin this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So this is the familiar creation narrative. It's showcasing God's artistic, creative, aesthetic, life-giving brilliance and power as he creates order from chaos and beauty from emptiness. And then skip down to verse 20. God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them, the animals, and said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. Here... God's blessing is his willingness to share his own creative life-making power and ability with others. In this case, with animals. It says that he blessed them. Then look down at verse 26. 
Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Once again, in the story, God blesses. But here, with human beings, the blessing is not just sharing God's life-producing creative power, it's that, but it's also to rule and to reign, to steward and oversee God's creation with loving, gracious, creative dominion. One dimension of humanity's blessing is to care for God's blessed creation. And to do this well, all we have to do is trust in God's abundant capacity to bless, to believe that God will satisfy humanity's needs and that He will act as our trustworthy source of wisdom and goodness. But if you know the story, there is a tree and its fruit represents humanity's decision to reject God's blessing and goodness in favor of our own perceived self-sufficiency. And in the story, humanity is deceived. They reach for that tree and they believe, which they believe will bless them, only to discover that it is instead a curse. And in the story, the curse is not a magical incantation. It's not a hex, but it is the simple act of God allowing humanity to face the consequences of its own foolish decisions. See, we want blessing on our own terms, and God dignifies humanity with agency or with freedom, and He lets us have what we want. That is the curse, that rather than receiving God's freely given blessing of abundance, relationship, and life, we prefer the curse of scarcity and loneliness and death. But again, you know the story, we made the call, God could have left us to the curse of our own consequences, but instead, being God and all, He promises to do something about it. That's who He is. So turn to the right, just a few chapters over to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. At this point, God looks out on the broken human project and he selects a man, one man, then called Abram and his wife Sarai. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will what? Bless you. I will make your name great. So there's the idea of being fruitful and multiplying again. He's going to become a great nation. God's blessing is his sharing of life-producing creative power. But why? Keep reading. Verse 2. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be what? A blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God is reinstating the blessing of the garden, but now it's a rescue mission. God intends to reverse the curse of humanity's failure by bringing his creative power, his relationship, his abundance and life back into the world. And again, he wants to do this in collaboration with human beings. This is a gesture of God's relational love. 
So over the last six years, if you've been here once or twice, I've gone on often and at length about my affection for Jurassic Park. And in fact, in light of the new movie, I sat down this week. I'm like, I'm going to write a few words about Jurassic Park for this movie podcast that I do. But then it turned into like a 20-plus page essay, which ter- translated into like an hour of me monologuing. I don't regret anything. I feel great about it. All that to say, it means a lot to me. But in 1993, I was, like the rest of the world, in a new and full-blown Jurassic Park fever. Movies don't really have the same place in popular culture that they once did, so it's hard to explain this, but it was a full-blown phenomenon. I mention this because recently, my son Beck was asking me questions about it, and he had drawn me a Jurassic Park picture for my birthday, and he asked me if I had ever done that for my dad when I was a kid. So I started telling him the story about when my dad, who worked at a paper mill for decades, asked me to paint the Jurassic Park logo on the hard hat that he wore to work, just like the workers wore in the opening sequence of the film. And drawing was my thing back then. I wanted it to be perfect, but I just couldn't get it. Paint wasn't my medium. The hat's shell was convex and frustrating, and I was really embarrassed by the results. Terrible. So I scraped my efforts from the hard hat. And my dad looked at it and he said, that's no, that's no problem, just try it again. Let's do it one more time. So I did, though to my estimation, the results weren't much better the second time. And as I was telling my kid about this, something that honestly I hadn't really thought about in a long time, something occurred to me for the first time. See, for years I had assumed that my dad's enthusiasm for Jurassic Park was just that. He liked the movie a lot because really almost everyone did. He talked to me about it. He took me to see it six times in theaters. He let me play the soundtrack in the car and he asked me to draw the logo on his hard hat. But then sitting there looking at this drawing that my son had created with me in mind, It finally occurred to me that, sure, my dad probably liked Jurassic Park as much as the next average moviegoer, but really, he just wanted something to share with me. He could have just put a sticker on his hat, and it would have been perfect, and I had some, and I offered them to him, but he wanted the drawing. And back then, I felt really bad about the botch job. I felt embarrassed for my dad. He was going to wear this terrible thing that I painted to work. But it wasn't really the logo that he was after. It was taking his son's painting to work with him every day. And he gave me a real job, and he asked me to care, to try, real stakes, not just because he needed it in the truest sense, but because he wanted me involved. God is the same way. He makes Abraham into a great nation called Israel. He invites them once again into covenant partnership, which God describes as a choice between blessing and cursing, between life and death. Remember that for later. Now, again, you know the story. Israel, humanity really, fails as God's covenant partners. But Israel's prophets yet continued to trust that God would make good on his promise to reverse the curse by bringing blessing through Abraham's descendants, just like God said he would. And the story eventually brings us to one of those descendants of Abraham called Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus was the first human being to truly trust in God's blessing, in his abundance, in his life-giving power. And Jesus becomes the means by which God's curse-reversing blessing is poured out into the broken world. He demonstrated this through all kinds of things, radical generosity, through healing, sickness, and disease, even resuscitating dead people as a demonstration of God's blessing pushing back the curse. 
And Jesus taught his followers to go around doing the same kinds of things, but with radical resolve, going as far, to command, as, far as to command his disciples to bless even their enemies, even those who do evil to them. The blessing of God unleashed in Jesus is wild and extravagant, flowing out through his followers and made manifest in self-sacrificial love, creating abundance where there was loneliness and discord, love where there was hatred and enmity, and life where there was death. And in the story, Jesus eventually takes the full weight of the curse onto himself in order to deal with and defeat the consequences of sin and rebellion once and for all. And when the world thought Jesus dead, God made him alive. We expected the curse. God continued to unleash the blessing. The blessing is God's life and love, his creativity, his life-giving power, his peace, his victory over darkness and death his reversing of the curse. And Jesus imbues and entrusts his followers with the ability and capacity to receive and to redistribute God's blessing, to be blessed and to bless others. How? One more time, turn to the right in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3. We're almost there. Stay with me. Matthew chapter 3. Verse 13, let's read one more time what Allah read just minutes ago. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So John consented. Verse 16, as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Jesus' world was, like ours, a world of many gods. But Jesus' God is the God of the Hebrew Scriptures. This God is not one among equals. He's not open to interpretation. He is God the Father, Yahweh, the one true creator God above all gods. And Jesus referred to the true one and only creator God as Dad, as Abba or Father, and that Jesus referred to God as Father is, in one sense, in keeping with the Judaism in which Yahweh was referred to often as the Father of Israel. We have ancient Jewish writings that refer to God in this way as sort of a broad cosmic sense. But Jesus, many argue, was first to refer to God as Abba, not as just divine all-Father of Israel, but intimately, personally. He called God Dad. And this is complicated for us because all of us have had imperfect relationships with our fathers at best. And some of us have had downright horrific experiences with our fathers. But in Jesus' mind, God is the good father, the perfect father, the father of blessing who shares, freely gives abundance and life and love. God the Father is never petty, never short-tempered, never cruel, never aloof. God the Father does not withhold his love. He does not hit his children. He does not abuse them. He is not selfish or careless with them. If you had a good dad, God the Father is everything wonderful about him without any of the shortcomings or failures. And if you had a bad dad, then God the Father is nothing like him. And dads, 
There are a lot of dads in our church. Let this wake you up. Your children's understanding of God the Father will be shaped by you, for better or worse, and whether you like it or not. And if you try and let yourself off the hook with, oh, I'm not perfect, I don't claim to be any kind of leader, if you're a dad, you are. And yes, God is merciful, and He can heal the hurt that all of us inevitably do to one another as we grow and mature in discipleship, but your children's understanding of God the Father will be shaped by you. So if you're detached and unfeeling, if you're caustic and short-tempered, if you're lazy and permissive, if you do not bless them and build them up and demonstrate your unwavering determination to do them good with order and discipline and kindness and affection, then they will import those things that you teach them by default into their understanding of God the Father. Or, and maybe this is an even more sobering way to look at it, if you do not take the emotional and spiritual health and maturity of yourself and your own family very seriously, your children will likely follow suit. In Jesus' mind, there is no question as to whether God the Father knows and cares for His daughters and sons. He does, and His only disposition toward you is to do you good. He is the Father of blessing. The blessing God speaks over Jesus, I love you, I am pleased with you, is the blessing He speaks over His sons and daughters today. I love you, I am pleased with you. And you, please listen to me, whether or not you are a father or a mother or neither as a friend, an employee, a spouse, a sibling, a classmate, a, na a neighbor, a human, young and old, all seasons of life and stages of maturity, you have the life-giving power of God's blessing in you ready to be given to others. But how? We are learning to remember every person as made in the image of God and loved by God, recognizing the image of God in everyone and letting your words and actions imbibe that recognition. Now, most of us, if someone we love and deeply respect brings another person to us and says, listen, I really want you to meet this person, we give that person a level of focused attention, even if the meeting is brief. But what if every person we met, and especially the family of God in the church, we eyed through the lens of God's loving concern for them, as if God himself was saying, this is my beloved when we meet them. And without pretense or theatrics, we discipline ourselves to give them all the warmness and affection that comes from sincere attention, seeing them, greeting them with grace and peace in God the Father. Blessing as was the case of God's words over Jesus in baptism, is often what one person speaks over another person in order to build them up and release them into their God-given identity and calling. Think again of that older woman who spoke over me in the library that morning. She could have just quietly gone about her business. I'm convinced most people would. I probably would have. But she spoke three words. It shaped me. I was blessed. I am still talking about it today. And listen to me, what you do and do not say to another person has in it the power of life and death, blessing and curse. 
Again, for you parents, your kids will live into what you say about them, for better or for worse. If you gripe about them and you call it joking around or venting and you say, oh, they're crazy or they're wild or they talk too much or they're no good at this or that, they will hear you and they will be shaped by your words. A curse. If you react to your child's imperfect enthusiasm for you or for life or for whatever it is that interests them by making them feel stupid or rejected, they will be shaped by that. And the same is true of friends and family, of the people in your Van City community, the people with whom you work or go to school with. This is especially true of blessing between members of the same gender, men blessing men and women blessing women. Men often feel threatened by other men, and women often feel threatened by other women, especially when they are older or have more perceived status or power or position. But what if that older man or woman chooses to give some of their status or power or position away by blessing someone who has less. They can change that person's life. You can do that. Me? Yes. You. If you follow Jesus, then in the language of the New Testament, you are a saint. You are a royal priesthood. You have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead alive in you, and you have the power of life and death in your words. And you are not only empowered by God to bless others with your words, but you are responsible to God for it. Honestly, I'd been in seminary for years, had been learning to teach the Bible for years, had everything lined up to continue down this road uh, if I wanted to, but it wasn't until a friend of mine, my mentor specifically, blessed me in a specific moment in time that I felt like, okay, I guess I'll give this a shot. It was a Sunday night after a sermon I'd given that I really doubt was any good, but he put his hand on my shoulder and he prayed over me and he said, Josh, I see this calling over your life and I believe you can do it. And that's a huge dramatic moment, obviously, but how many of you have stories about a person in your life that time and time again looked you in the eyes and said, hello, or received you again and again with genuine warmth and affection, even with very little at stake, and somehow just that meant something to you, to be seen and known by another human being. Ronald Rollharzer argues, we bless others when we see them delight in their energy rather than feel threatened by it. And we give away some of our own life to help resource their lives. Sadly, the reverse is also true. We curse others when we demand that they see and admire us, when we demand that they speak well of us, and when we use their lives to build up our own. A gesture of blessing feeds others. A cursing gesture feeds off of them. In his book, Sacred Fire, which we have for sale at cost in the back, along with other recommended reading for this series, Rollheiser envisions this hypothetical setting for blessing or cursing that could take place. He imagines a tenured professor, old, respected, revered, highly esteemed. Others look to him for wisdom and expertise. But then one day, a newer, younger professor comes to work at the old professor's university, one who specializes in the same field. This new professor is exciting and buzzworthy. His take on things is novel and new. The old professor has two choices, blessing or curse, life or death. The old professor can, as many in his position do, cling to his power and position. He can be hesitant and cynical about the new professor and his so-called expertise. He can assert himself and his status become territorial. It's him or me. Or 
He can bless the new professor. He can voluntarily give some of his status away. He can celebrate the new professor with everyone else, sinking back into the crowd so that he can be in the forefront. Even seek the new professor's expertise and in doing so, build him up and release, to him, release him into his God-given calling. He can relinquish any hold on his own power and prestige and choose instead to let this new professor have as much of it as possible, even at his expense. And paradoxically, if the old professor chooses to bless, the old professor will be blessed in the process. If not, the curse will similarly rebound back on the curser. Rollheiser goes on to conclude, we cannot force others to bless us, but we can bless others, and in that is our freedom. And it works the other way as well. Here's a story I've never told anyone. Many years ago, I staggered into a strange living room in Pittsburgh with my bandmates. We'd been traveling all night long, heading from one show to the next, and we were tired and grumpy, and by the time we made it into a friend's house on our way to the next stop, everyone was feeling pretty lousy. But I was feeling talkative. I talk a lot and I get really distracted, so there are lots of rabbit trails. And for many years, for most of my life, I nurtured this profound sense of self-hatred formed in no small way by my own suspicion that I was deeply obnoxious to other people, that I was annoying, that I talked too much and I couldn't seem to help it. And this began when I was a kid. I would overhear the way adults talked about me, observing the way that they responded to me and made snarky comments between one another. And on that morning in Pittsburgh, for reasons I still don't understand, I was blathering on to my exhausted bandmates about otters. I, <laughs> we stumbled into this living room. There was nothing to cue this memory that I can remember, but I had remembered seeing something on television about the way that mother otters will, you ready for this, spin stillborn pups in the water in the doomed effort to wake them up. Very sad. Somehow, yeah, I know. Somehow this came to mind that morning, and I just started talking about it. And I could see from their expressions that no one felt like humoring me, um, but I just kept talking. And then one of my best friends in the world said, do you ever shut up? Just keep your thoughts to yourself for once. And a couple of the other guys kind of chuckled amongst themselves because he had said what everyone was thinking. And they said, oh, dang, you had to tell it like it was or whatever. And this silent understanding passed between us that what I most feared but had been helpless to stop was true. I was that obnoxious person that I did not want to be. And in a moment, that thought took root and it burrowed in deep and I carried it and nurtured it for years and years, pruning this horrible black vine of self-loathing, of, of the curse now, to be clear, by the grace of God and through years of therapy and spiritual formation, I am no longer in that dark place of self-hatred and despair, nor am I mad at my friend. I love him. He's still my friend. I talked to him this morning. And full disclosure, I talked like this to my friends as well. We thought we were funny, being so snarky and sarcastic and cynical all the time. We thought we were so clever. And if you couldn't handle it, well, that was your problem. You can't take a joke. And I believe that I issued out more cursing than I endured. It was a culture that we created amongst one another, and I was a huge part of it. But it's incredible, incredible to me how much power this one sentence had over me for years of my life. And many of you, I think, have a similar story. 
something a parent or friend said over you, about you, a mean-spirited or maybe even a careless phrase uttered by someone you cared about or looked up to, and for whatever reason, it got its hooks in you. Or, just as scary, the curse can often come on the heels of things unsaid. A good friend of mine who has a great relationship with her dad, did through childhood, does to this day, she once told me that her father had never once told her that she was beautiful, nor did, he, nor did she believe that he ever would. She said, ah, that's just not the way he shows his affection. She said, he might say something like, you look sharp today, but she admitted with a shrug, he would never say beautiful. And I couldn't believe it. I do not want my own felt limitations to dictate whether or not the people in my life are blessed by me. And it's weird, isn't it? Why does gossip and slander and recrimination come so easily from so many of us to the degree that we have to work to push it back, and yet we struggle to articulate blessing even when it occurs to us and we want to say it? How often have you heard or said something to the effect of, oh man, I was thinking this about you, but I didn't tell you for whatever reason. And we are experts in convincing ourselves that this is best. Years ago, I was in a group of people that happened to begin of its own locomotion celebrating this dude that we all knew. He just came up in conversation and everyone started talking about this guy. He's the best dude. People were saying, isn't he just the best? I mean, just glowing reviews of this guy. And then we went about our business. A few days later, I saw the guy at church, and having just had that conversation, uh, it immediately sprung to mind. And the Spirit of God, I felt in that moment, urged me in my heart to articulate that blessing over him. But I thought, eh, this isn't the time or the place. I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be dramatic. There are people around. What if he's busy? And on and on in my head with a list of very stupid reasons not to just tell this dude that people love him. And so I left the room without a word. And then I took about 10 steps before the conviction was so heavy that I turned around and went back. And I told him, I told this guy how highly people speak of him, that it happened spontaneously and that everyone agreed how loved he is and how respected he is, what a great reputation he has, how much I thought of him. It wasn't weird. It wasn't a put on. It wasn't dramatic or teary eyed. I just told him the way that I'd tell him anything else about my week. Hey, earlier we were talking about you and I just want you to know this is what people have to say about you. And I could see with my own eyes, I could see the blessing come over him, the way he responded to it, like in his body, viscerally, not with like sobs and a huge hug. It was just a simple yet sincere, oh man, thank you so much for telling me, but I could see it. And I thought, man, what if I learned to practice this as the baseline, the starting point for all interactions with our friends and families and children and spouses, our church, with all of its brokenness and imperfections, this dude was not perfect. Even so, blessing with all of its rich profundity to you from God the Father. And if this cuts you as something that you are missing, something that you are neglecting to join the club, I am often sarcastic. I can have a dark, cynical sense of humor. It's often the language that I speak with my friends. And no, it's not always wrong to be sarcastic or to joke around. But do we want to be known for that? Or do we want to be known for our willingness to bless other people with what we say? 
Not contrived, not superficial, but taking the time to see others, to love them, and to speak truth over them from God's Spirit in us. A few weeks ago, I had been deeply discouraged by something I learned about things that had been said about me in corners of the church. And though, you know, I try to be mature and reasonable about this kind of thing, I'm only human, so I was kind of bummed. And I came out of a meeting, and I remember sitting down at my desk and telling God, I need an encouragement to offset the pain that I'm feeling, that I needed to know that I wasn't a fraud or a complete failure or that everyone didn't hate me. And quite honestly, to my great surprise, God answered my prayer. Go figure. I was blessed by the words of other people more in the few days that followed that prayer than all my previous years as a pastor combined. It's not an exaggeration. I was reassured and reaffirmed all by just words, things people said, texts and emails. Most of them, I'm I'm guessing all of them, had no idea that I needed it or that I'd asked for those things. A few passing conversations with people after the gathering, some messages that people sent me, that sort of thing. It was incredible. Blessing and cursing are powerful things. They have the ability to shape and steer us, to form us into the people we are becoming, to release us into our God-given identity or to keep us from it. And in this way, you hold tremendous power over other people in your ability to bring them into the knowledge of their true selves. Not by being a counselor or a therapist or some kind of spiritual expert, just by speaking blessing over them. Sometimes as few as three words your kids, your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, classmates, siblings, neighbors, people. How? To end, here are my two very simple suggestions to start. First, ask God's Spirit who to bless and how. Not just tonight not just as a one-off, regularly, routinely. Start with what's easiest, what's, with what's right in front of you. Dedicate just a small, recurring bit of time every week. It could be just minutes on a morning to begin. Every single person here can do this. Ask God how you can bless your kids or your spouse or your roommate or your best friend or your coworkers, whatever. Ask God for a word, a phrase, a scripture, a picture, anything. And then go tell them. Don't wait. Don't stall. Don't talk yourself out of it. Don't set an impossibly unrealistic stage. Oh, I don't want to send this text message. I'll wait till we're, you know, sitting down, having a dinner at this place, whatever. It doesn't need to be a huge deal. It doesn't need to be a candlelit dinner, a dramatic moment. Just go and bless. Send the message, make the phone call, whatever. And I hate to sound like an inspirational fortune cookie or a country song, but you don't even know if you'll be around tomorrow or the next day. Just don't wait, just do it. You know that song, I don't wait. Skydiving, yeah. It's one of the things you gotta do. And here, yeah. Lexi, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, shoot, Tim McGraw, man. And whoever wrote that song for him. And here's the kicker. You don't always need some incredible epiphany or prophetic deposit from the Holy Spirit Often, the blessing simply wells up within, and it falls on you to pour it out. I have no idea if that woman in the library heard from God's Spirit that morning, at least not in subconscious, some conscious kind of way. Maybe some nice words simply came to her mind, and rather than entertain them quietly, privately, she just chose to say them out loud. And God used those words to transmit His blessing over me. 
don't wait. You don't even have to wait on some epiphany from God's Spirit. Just say the blessing that comes to mind. And then secondly, and this is just as important, denounce gossip, which is really cursing others. Reject slander. A good friend of mine is infamous for his unwillingness to gossip. I say infamous because he shuts conversations down. People will be talking about it. And then this happened. He app, 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 and he stops it. And you're like, you're no fun. I've known him for many years and without fail. Whenever conversation begins to even detour slightly toward gossip or slander, he just shuts it down. And once someone I'd met told me, oh, your friend, this friend of mine, he speaks so highly of you, which is something people say all the time. Um, but I realized in that moment exactly how trustworthy it was in this particular instance because I knew this friend of mine would not have said anything cruel or slanderous about me, ever. Not in the name of venting, not as commiserating, not under the guise of sarcasm or humor. And I thought, it occurred to me, man, what incredible security to experience in a friendship. I don't know if I have another friend like that. I know that I haven't been that friend to other people. But I want to. I want to repent and I want to grow into a person of blessing so that others can say, Josh would never say anything slanderous about me. There is such incredible power in our potential to bless and, regrettably, to curse. And it's a choice that we make every day by purpose or by negligence in all that we do and do not say. If we can somehow learn to trust what God says over us, I love you, I am pleased with you, then maybe we can experience the security that comes from the Father, accepting who we really are and learn to be like him and bless others as we have been blessed. Let's pray and ask God's Spirit to empower us to do exactly that. Thanks for listening to Vance City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Vance City financially at vancity.church/give.